0: Two, three breaks. Down the middle of the field, it is caught. Loose football. Who's got it? Down at the one yard line. How about that? That is the ultimate kibosh. <laughs> <laughs> and we are underway. Hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. We are coming to you with a special episode. The King has left the building. Rob Gronkowski has announced that he is retiring. After nine years in the league, the longtime Patriots tight end has decided to hang up the old cleats so that he can focus on... Uh, nobody really knows what he's going to be focusing on. He's just going to be doing what Gronk does. But Gronk's agent has already suggested that uh, he might come back perhaps in the middle of the season if the team or quarterback Tom Brady reaches out to him. But as of now, it looks like Gronk is gone. What exactly does that mean? Here with me to break down all the implications of the Gronk retirement is Ian Harditz, the director of the Fantasy Labs NFL platform and an Action Network analyst. You can follow him in the Action Network app at iHarditz. Also use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. Ian, how is it going? Sad day, Matt. Sad
1: day. I've always considered Gronk one of the goats, you know, regardless of position, and I don't think there's anyone that we've seen have more fun playing the game at such a high level over the years. So uh, it's rare, I think, to have a team like the Patriots where pretty much, unless you're a Patriots fan, you've hated them for the last two decades yet at the same time, pretty much everyone loves Gronk. So he he was able to be on kind of the most unlikable team in the league and still remain one of the most likable athletes. And for that, I salute you Gronk.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's ever been anyone like him in like another sport. Like, I, I don't know. It, I mean, because he, he was so dominant, but yet like so likable. Like no one really hated Gronk. So which which I think is is pretty rare. Um we are now in week eight of the Alliance season. And of course we're going to talk about that in another podcast later this week. But right now let's let's jump into uh some Gronk talk. Gronk's place in the Pantheon of all-time tight ends and maybe like players. Like I think if there's someone who kind of defines this era that's not tom brady it really kind of might be gronk just because of how dominant he's been but then also he's like one of the real um like versatile type of players that i think has kind of grown up in this era like he's just as good at pass blocking and run blocking as he is at receiving and I think this era has been marked by like an increased desire to have players who are multifaceted, like running backs, guys who can run and who can catch. And because tight ends play in in this like multifaceted way, in that they they block, uh, but they also catch the ball, they can be like really like these chess piece type of of weapons that can really empower an offense. And you you look at the best offenses in the league, and they are the teams that have had the best tight ends just because of what those guys can do. The the mismatch that they provide when they're going against linebackers or safeties or even cornerbacks. So Gronk is a player I think really special for this era. And then you just look at him in comparison to all of the other tight ends who came before. And it's pretty impressive what he was able to do in only nine years What are your thoughts in terms of how Gronk stacks up to the other tight ends and then just any other players in NFL history?
1: Yeah, I think he's the GOAT tight end. And I recognize guys like Tony Gonzalez, uh, Antonio Gates did it longer. But I think if we took every single tight end to ever play the game, we had one game versus the aliens to save planet Earth. And we got to pick one of them in their prime. It'd be Rob Gronkowski. We've seen him continually function at the highest level that we really haven't seen any other, any other tight end reach. I mean, just looking at his per-game statistics, it's absurd. He's number one among all tight ends in receiving yards per game. He's number one in yards per target, number one in PPR points per game. I mean, the guy had 79 touchdowns in only 115 games. There's only three other tight ends at all time that have managed to reach, reach that number. It took them 182 games, 270 games, and 236 games. So it's truly uh, – unprecedented what he's been able to do how successful he was able to be in just a short period of time so even if someone again like Gonzalez or Gates has a, a better not better but longer uh career which needs to be appreciated I get it but I just think talent wise and just ceiling wise there's really no one that's uh been able to reach Gronk's level and the big reason is that matchup problem that uh you're mentioning I mean The Patriots have lived on this for years. I remember uh, a couple years ago, it was so much fun to watch them open up in goal line formation near the goal line. then all of a sudden spread it out and get Gronk in that one-on-one matchup with the linebacker for a fade or slant. I mean, he's way too big to put a cornerback or safety on him, way too big and strong. They'll just run the ball down your throat. But he's too athletic and too good of a receiver for linebackers to match him. So, I mean… We saw like Eric Berry, you know, the best of the best, have a little bit of success over the years. But even then, Gronk's more than capable of winning those battles. So it's incredible that he played for nine years. And really, the only guy that could ever slow him down was himself. It was only really injuries that ever uh, made Gronk back into even a little bit of a mortal. So, yeah, he's the goat tight end of uh, all time in my book for sure.
0: You know, I, I think of, uh, like, a, a couple of guys come to mind when I think of Gronk, and one of them is always Aaron Hernandez, which, like, they were drafted in the same year. They had that awesome two tight end set, which really changed the style of play for at least a couple of years. Like, after that, every team was trying to roll out with two tight ends, hoping that they could replicate that success. You know, you you think almost, like, what could have been if not for uh, obviously the legal issues with Hernandez and the the injuries with Gronk, like those two guys could have been a force for uh, a decade, and yet they were still so different in terms of their style of play. Where Gronk had the end line capability, and Hernandez really was more of a a slot or H back type of guy, but who could also take carries out of the backfield, which was you know really kind of incredible. And then another guy I think of is Mike Ditka. Who I think of as sort of like the the original, like hard-nosed tight end who was awesome as a blocker. But Dicka as a rookie in 1961 in 14 games had over a thousand yards receiving and 12 touchdowns. Like that was like unheard of production at the time, like almost unheard of for a wide receiver. And then Dicka was doing it as a, a tight end and obviously went on to have a, a great career, but that was sort of like the peak of his production as a rookie never again had a thousand receiving yards never again had uh, double digit touchdowns but like that one season of him like that was that's almost like the the closest anyone came before Gronk to being Gronk and Ditka as great as he was was able to do that for only one year Gronk would I mean even though he had his injuries he was able to sustain for multiple seasons so uh you know pretty pretty impressive And, yeah, I agree. I don't think anyone has – like, at their position, I think Jerry Rice is the only guy who has been as dominant at his position as Gronk was at tight end. And, honestly, like, I guess it would be hard to say that that Gronk was more dominant at tight end than Rice was a receiver because Rice just did it for so long. But, you know, like, each of those guys at their peak – I I don't know. I feel like Gronk was probably just as good at his position as Rice was at receiver.
1: Yeah. I've never seen another tight end since I've started watching football, have the ability to literally take over games. I mean, I I always think about that Uh, Broncos Patriots, AFC championship in 2015, you know, multiple fourth down conversions on the same last drive, uh, just uncoverable got put two guys on him. It just doesn't matter. Sometimes obviously having Tom Brady throwing the ball, helps but look at the receivers that the Patriots surrounded Gronk with throughout his career it's all underneath guys I mean all right, here's a list of pa- Patriots receivers with over 100 catches since Gronk entered the league Julian Edelman Wes Welker James White Danny Amendola Aaron Hernandez Dion Branch Brandon LaFell Chris Hogan and Shane Vereen all those guys are underneath the receivers that I don't think would be nearly as successful if they didn't have someone like Gronk routinely taking double coverage, routinely showing the ability to stretch the field. And really, Gronk has been the straw that's helped us third, this second uh, kind of dynasty of Patriots i put together over the last uh, decade. So it's it's been incredible to see him take over games uh, throughout these years, both as a badass blocker, badass receiver. Gronk's the ultimate go-to tight end, man. I, I don't have anything else to say with it.
0: <laughs> One more thing that is in the sort of like what could have been category. In 2010, when Gronk and Hernandez were drafted, you were still in this era of Randy Moss was with the the team. Wes Welker was with the team. Moss was traded in the middle of the season. But if Moss could have hung on for another year or two, you know, and, and if Welker could have hung on, like just imagine what that team could have been. Like you never really had like the era of the, the Patriots, like the 2007 type of Patriots offense, mingling with the Gronk and Hernandez offense if they could have sustained that like that would have been so amazing to see like okay so kind of perspective on this and it's not nearly the same thing but like I'm I'm a Mavericks fan and this is I think like going to be a really awesome season years from now in retrospect where it's like the one season where Nowitzki was with the team and Luka was with the team Like that one year where they they played together and it was sort of like like a a passing of the torch. I think it would have been cool with the Patriots if there had been some overlap of Moss still being a really great player with Welker there and then seeing Hernandez and Gronk come into their own. Never got to see that, but that would have been cool. But talking about the Patriots now, obviously Gronk hasn't been in 2018 what he was in the years prior but he was still an important part of that offense. He still got targets when he was on the field. What do we expect of the Patriots now that Gronk is gone?
1: Yeah, I mean, good points all around with the Moss Gronk thing. We've we, got, never gotten a chance to see Gronk function as anything less than the Patriots' number one receiver, which, uh, yeah, adding a true field stretcher that could have maybe helped open up those uh, intermediate areas of the field would have been great to see with him. But, yeah, the big problem is, uh, obviously, I mean, we see a lot of quarterbacks we were talking about with Eli with and without OBJ, but Tom Brady, believe it or not, has been worse without his number one receiver over the years. I mean, since Gronk entered the league in 2010, Brady's averaged uh, 8.01 yards per attempt and a 66% completion rate. With Gronk on the field, you take Gronk off the field, and those numbers drop to 6.9 yards per attempt and just a 60% completion rate. So again, I mean, I think the problem is I mean, Brady lives, has always lived on, you know, figuring out the defense pre-snap and then getting it to Edelman, James White, all these underneath guys, and they're able to make plays after the catch, get open, all that. You take away Gronk, the guy that's almost allowing those underneath receivers to function without uh, linebackers and safeties being able to jump their routes things get a lot uh, more tight. Things get a lot more difficult. So we've seen uh, Chris Raybon had a really good article about the different uh, splits from Edelman and James White with and without Gronk. And yeah, we've seen both guys average more points per reception uh, without Gronk in the fold. But a lot of that has just been enhanced target share, which You know, fantasy football, a lot of times that's all we care about, but I do think there's a real concern here with how the ceiling is going to be in this Patriots offense as long as they don't have a true number one wide receiver. Maybe Josh Gordon comes back. I don't know. Even then, uh, I don't think we saw quite the same specimen uh, last season as we saw in his uh, Cleveland prime, so – yeah, one last thing from Rayvon's article that we saw are just the points per game. I mean, the Patriots averaged 30.7 points per game with Gronk since 2010 and only 26.8 points per game without. So I think even if we can more accurately uh, get some target share in James White, join Edelman, I'm sure we'll see more of a run first offense with Sonny Michelle. I just think the overall ceiling and floor of the Patriots offense has decreased.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And as you mentioned, Rayvon has an article at ActionNetwork.com uh, and also Fantasy Labs. Uh, and you have a, a piece there as well, two fantastic pieces, placing the, uh, the Gronk retirement in a proper context. But yeah, I think bottom line is that the Patriots are going to miss Gronk. <clears throat> you know, last year he wasn't quite his youthful dominant self, but even as he's gotten older, he's never really had a problem performing, uh, getting up for the big game if you know what I mean. If the internet rumors are to be believed. Uh, if I had to bet, I would say that it's a rare occurrence for Gronk to experience erectile dysfunction. But uh, not all of us can be Gronk. You know, Some guys, for one reason or another, aren't always able to uh, get it into the end zone and spike that ball with everything you've got. Uh, on top of that, studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to get checked out by a doctor and treated online. Roman is a one-stop shop where licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose ED and ship medication right to your door. With Roman, there are no waiting rooms, awkward face-to-face conversations, or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. You can handle everything discreetly online. All you have to do is visit GetRoman.com slash NFLpod, fill out a brief medical onboarding, chat with a doctor, and get FDA-approved ED meds delivered to your door in unmarked packaging. Guys, go online and get checked out by the doctor. Get into the end zone with Roman for a free online visit. Go to GetRoman.com slash NFLpod. That is GetRoman.com slash NFLpod for a free online visit. GetRoman.com slash NFLpod. Okay, uh, Ian, I think I just transitioned into that, and you didn't even know I was doing the, the ad read yeah that was
1: actually one of your best ones yeah i thought you were about to go in on a gronk statement and before i knew it we we're talking about ed again so yeah you're, you're made undefeated on a uh, ad reads uh, hats off to you, for you
0: it's i actually feel this this mounting pressure with each <laughs> each ad read where i i don't it's like the 2007 patriots like i don't i don't want to lose i don't want the streak to be unbroken so anyway
1: I, I'm pretty sure over half of our positive feedback on these pods has been your ad reads, so please keep it up.
0: <laughs> yeah, basically, uh, we should just have an entire pod of ad reads.
1: <laughs> That's what we're moving towards.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, let's 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 look at this from something of a fantasy perspective. And so we, we talked about what the implications might be in terms of fantasy and production for the Patriots. But in terms of the tight end position, the tight end landscape, Obviously, Gronk last year entered the season as a presumed top three tight end. Didn't live up to that draft position. And now there's another top three, Kelsey, Ertz, and Kittle. But people, I think, were still kind of thinking, well, maybe Gronk could have something of a, I don't know, like a, a bounce back campaign, even if he's not like, you know, the number one tight end I think some people were drafting Gronk you know as the seventh eighth guy off the board thinking that he still had some top three upside and and now that option is no longer available um, what do you think of the tight end landscape without Gronk I
1: think it's more imperative than ever to try to get one one of Kelsey Ertz and Kittle because those are now the only tight ends we have in a league that are locked in as top two options in their offense I mean we saw Kelsey and I believe all three of those guys actually did lead their offense in uh, targets last year. Not a guarantee that'll happen again, but either way, I mean, they're the closest things we have to a guaranteed triple digit target share. So I really think, especially in season long, I mean just getting one of these really good tight ends is just so essential. And I don't think, I still think we're living in a kind of five year ago land where we think of tight ends as more burly blockers and just less as receivers. And look at, I mean, these top three guys, again, they spend over half their uh, snaps like in the slot or out wide anyway. So they're more or less wide receivers. They get the target shares of wide receivers and their production usually matches that of receivers. So being able to uh, lock in one of those guys, it's going to cost you a higher pick, but I just think it really helps uh, separate your lineup from uh, these other people that are going to be forced to uh, draft one later in the draft because after, after these guys we got right now in ADP, it goes Eric Ebron, O.J. Howard, Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, Dave Njoku, Delaney Walker, and then Vance McDonald to round out the top ten. Among that group, I mean, I'm all here for a Hunter Henry uh, bounce-back year. If he's healthy, I think he could uh, slide in as a number two option in that Chargers offense. Evan Ingram obviously had some opportunity open up without OBJ. Same thing can be said for Vance McDonald, but just a lot more questions with all these guys. And even if there's, a, they have that athletic ability to make some plays, uh, the targets are nowhere near as secure as those top three options. So uh, the only other notable guy I want to bring up is Chris Herndon from the Jets because I think we saw some really good things from him as a rookie. And I think that is a situation where – It wouldn't be shocking if he does emerge as a number two receiver, considering uh, Darnold's knack for kind of checking it down and targeting uh, his slot and tight end. Uh, Came across an interesting stat during my, you know, just random March NFL research. But we've had 14 rookie tight ends average at least eight yards per target since 2000. Listen to this list. O.J. Howard, Doug Jolly, he's the only mediocre one, Antonio Gates, Gronk, Hunter Henry, Heath Miller, Aaron Hernandez, Jordan Reed, Zach Ertz, George Kittle, Dallas Clark, Jimmy Graham, Algie Crumpler. And then Chris Herndon. Also, Mark Andrews for the Ravens. That's a little bit of a different situation. But Chris Herndon has really flashed the ability to operate at a high level, and he did it as a rookie. And I'm really looking forward to what he can do next year with potentially even more target share.
0: I agree with the assessment that it is now more imperative than ever to get one of those top three guys because all of the guys who follow them, you can poke holes in the assessment of them or kind of project some regression or expect them not to get the target share that they previously gotten Gronk was the one guy that was locked in for a, a high target share. The only question was, would he be able to stay healthy? But you know, Eric Ebron, His production was fueled primarily by touchdowns. That can be very fluky with the addition of Devin Funches there. He could get fewer touchdowns next year. O.J. Howard, uh, someone who is intriguing but coming off of an injury and now paired with an offensive play caller who's never really made strong use of the tight end position, Hunter Henry coming back from injury, Evan Ingram. you think that he would get some enhanced action now that uh, Odell Beckham Jr. is gone, but the team did just sign Golden Tate, uh, and so you would expect some of those targets now to go towards Tate. Njoku didn't really develop much of a connection with Baker Mayfield last year. Now Odell Beckham is there. Uh, So there would be questions as to how many targets he's going to get. Delaney Walker is old, returning from injury. Vance McDonald, and now it's like we're on like the eleventh, twelfth guy on this list, (laughs) you know. So like all of these guys after the top three, like there are legitimate concerns about them. So it it is interesting. Gronk was kind of the one guy in that group that you you could project a lot of usage for. So yeah, I, I think it definitely changes the landscape. So for the NFL draft. Thoughts on what Gronk's retirement might mean for the Patriots in terms of the 2019 NFL draft. So I have always had, like in my earliest iteration of the draft for the the mock of round one, I've always had the Patriots taking a tight end at number 32. And I think that becomes almost even more crucial now for the team although you never know what they're going to do it's Bill Belichick I doubt that they trade up because so there are three tight ends I think are worthy of a first round selection and TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant are the two real obvious ones from Iowa and then the third one I think is Irv Smith Jr. from Alabama who has good athleticism uh, is only 21 years old Um, there are a lot of things to like about him Hawkinson and Fance are almost certainly going to go before pick number 32. Like I think both of those guys have pretty good shots of going in the top 20. You never know how it works, uh, whether a, a team needs a tight end, but they maybe need something else more. So maybe they pass on the position, but both of those guys have a lot of potential. And I would say certainly by pick 32, they will be gone. Irv Smith Jr. is someone I think could be there at pick 32 the Patriots haven't historically traded up in the first round to go get a guy, but maybe if they really feel it's a position of need and they like Hawkinson or Fant enough, uh, they have the draft capital to be able to move up if they want to do it. So that is something that they might do. But, yeah, I think it, it really means that early in the draft they will probably look for tight ends.
1: Yeah, it seems like a match made in heaven with one of those Iowa guys, like you mentioned, but we'll see if uh, they fall that that much. Looking at their uh, depth chart right now at tight end, uh, Dwayne Allen is the l- latest Patriots reject to make his way to Miami. So not, now we're left with Matt Lacoste, who was with uh, Denver for portions of last year. Jacob Hollister has been a popular kind of streamer whenever Gronk misses time, but has never really cashed in on much. Steven Anderson is the interesting one from uh, Houston. Uh, I believe yeah. he played some wide receiver in college. At least he's got the athletic traits of one. That could be an interesting guy. And then Ryan Izzo, who I don't know much about. But obviously the Patriots have had uh, some of the more successful fantasy tight ends uh, over the last nine years. But I think that's been more because of Gronk and Hernandez's uh individual talent and less of any kind of scheme thing and we've seen the Patriots consistently switch their scheme to match their talent so uh, even if they get one of these uh, high first round tight ends I don't see them being much of a fantasy factor early on
0: yeah the one thing that gives me maybe some hope is I'm I'm gonna need to kind of think about this a little bit more but Benjamin Watson I believe was a uh, a first round pick by the Patriots like in 2014 so, sorry 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 2004 um <laughs> yeah 2004 I'm, but uh yeah okay I'm looking this up now yeah first rounder selected with the 32nd pick overall so exact same situation and he actually went on to have some pretty decent production with the Patriots in the following seasons and then like we've seen like what he's been able to do as an aged veteran kind of outproducing what anyone would expect a guy you know in his mid to late 30s to be able to do but to your point in his first year he did absolutely nothing you know so even if the patriots spend significant draft capital on someone uh that doesn't mean that they're going to be doing much at the tight end position um it's just but, it's just such
1: a demanding position in general yeah. not only do they have to figure out the new playbook and route tree but they also got to be already physical enough to handle blocking assignments and stuff and expecting someone to be able to kind of step in and do what Gronk's been able to do just uh isn't super realistic but also a quick shout out Ben Watson for the best chase down uh, tackle of all time on Champ Bailey back in the day that was nuts
0: <laughs> I don't remember that but uh what? all
1: right Champ no. Bailey Gets a pick at like the one yard line. It runs all the way down the field. He's like walking by the time he gets to the Patriots end zone, and Watson comes completely out of the screen and levels him, forces a fumble. I believe got the Patriots the ball back in one of those uh, Broncos playoff games. Look it up, man. Unbelievable.
0: Uh, okay. Is that, I mean, we're going far field here, but is, is that better than, you probably weren't even alive for this, Leon Lett? Uh, having the ball Ooh. stripped out of his hand, I think was it Steve Tasker who came from behind in the Super Bowl to uh, knock the ball out of his hands and enforce the fumble, which became a touchback.
1: Okay, I, I think the Leon Lutt one was more of an early celebration, and the Ben Watson one was more of a great individual play by Watson. Not to take anything away from Steve Tasker, one of the special team goats.
0: Uh okay. Let's uh let's talk about uh what Gronk might do next. Is he gonna fight in the WWE? Is he gonna be an NFL commentator? Is he gonna be an actor? Is he gonna host a podcast? Is he going to return to the NFL? Uh which I think that's actually uh a a sneaky possibility. Is he gonna play in the AAF? That's not happening. Uh the XFL, is he going to be a male stripper? One of my questions is uh what if he plays a male stripper in a movie? count uh as being an actor and a male stripper does he play in the cfl Uh, does he become president of the united states or does he become a professional singer in a pop band there are odds attached to all of these things what do you think uh he is likely to do Oh, I'm pretty sure he has like seven more years so he can legally, or six more years, whatever, right. so he can legally
1: run for president. Yeah. I'm going to cross that one off the list. But uh, I do like uh, him becoming an actor at plus 500 odds. We got, uh, right now, fighting in WWE is the favorite. You know, we got WrestleMania around the corner. Gronk's been a long time a professional wrestling fan, so it wouldn't shock me if that cashes in. But I like your pick, man. I'm not sure if they're still making the Magic mics anymore, but Gronk's always been more than willing to, you know, take his shirt off whenever he wants. So, uh, yeah, I could see a maybe parlay a male stripper or an actor and uh, get all the money.
0: Okay, for Dynasty, even though he's retired, so and this all depends on how uh, your league works for uh, guys who have retired. But for a lot of Dynasty leagues, if a guy retires, like officially announces that he's retiring, and then he comes back the team that had him when he retired has the rights to pick him up uh, or, you know, to, to use him. So anyway uh, my thought is that um, there's a chance he's, he's going to come back at some point, you know, like kind of pull like a a Marshawn Lynch type of situation and maybe as soon as like the middle of the season uh, he could come back. So if there's the possibility of trading a future low round pick for his rights, that might be something to uh, to consider. Uh, the question would be like, how how good is he if he comes back? I think he could actually be pretty close to what he was before, considering that I think he's probably going to stay in uh, physical shape. His body, I think, would probably benefit from not you know being hit for you know months at a time. So that's something I would actually think about Uh, just, you know, it obviously has to be the right price. And then I think also you may have to have a need at the the tight end position. Actually, I don't know if that last part is quite as important, but that's something that people might want to think about. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, at the very least, I mean, if you're able to get a future, I mean, like I said, trade a future low round pick for him. If he does come back, I'm assuming you could then flip him again for a higher pick and kind of make your money back in that way. If you if you're already set at the tight end position, but yeah, I don't see a scenario where if he does return that he wouldn't immediately step back in as at a minimal, you know, the number two option in the offense behind Edelman, maybe behind. White, if his uh, snap shares aren't super high to begin with, but I think it makes sense if he returns uh, later in the season. I mean, at this point, Gronk doesn't need to be out there for training camp. He knows what he's doing there, and I think he's so used to making playoff runs that he's probably thinking, "I will. Right, well, why not come back in Week Eight and play my ten uh, game season at that point? Actually, when they start to uh, need me, because we see the Patriots take Weeks One through Four off pretty much every year. Uh, anyway, you know, we all start freaking out after their 2-2 two and two or 3-1 and one start and wonder if this is the year. Uh, so maybe Gronk's just, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we hear the Gronk rumor start circulating around week 5 that he's getting back in shape. And then yeah, you know, maybe w- one week warm-up but again, if he returns, we know, and we still saw him make the biggest play in the Super Bowl down the sideline, made some big catches against the Chiefs. I think he wasn't his usual dominant self uh, last season, but he was still a useful fantasy contributor at times and still was able to win one-on-one matchups. So, yeah, I think if he gets back out there, uh, there's reason to believe he can still uh, be a big-time fantasy contributor.
0: Yeah, thinking about this a little bit more, going off of what you said with um, the Patriots always take weeks one through four off, it's not so much that I think they, they take those weeks off. And I don't think you meant that, I, but, like, they, they experiment Quite a for bit sure, in, sure. in those weeks. And so like the production that you see on the field, like what you see isn't really representative of what they will be doing later in the season. But so many people act as if it is. It's. I think it's, um, it's pretty likely the Patriots start out 2-2, two and two, you know? And then I think people will be freaking out because there's no Gronk. You know, you have this team that looks like they're struggling. I think that would be the time to uh, To invest in their futures for people who wanted to do that. And then you have like the added upside of Gronk potentially coming back in the middle of the season. And I think at that point, people aren't really going to be factoring that in. They're just going to be freaking out that the Patriots don't look like the Patriots anymore.
1: Yeah, 100% agreed. Definitely not take it off, but use it more as a learning experience. I mean, I've heard Mike Lombardi talk about this on end, but the yeah. Patriots just realize that you, know, you, you shouldn't be peaking in September or even trying to peak in September. You know, try to figure out what your team is, uh, what areas need to be uh, you know, enhanced, and which areas uh, you're already good at. So I, I think it's very smart to use that uh, weeks one through four for that period, and I don't think it's a surprise that we consistently see the Patriots start to take over in the second half.
0: All right, so Ian, uh, we have the Alliance podcast coming up uh, later this week. What are you working on right now? I'm assuming just grinding Alliance film and, and uh, looking at all those stats.
1: You got it, man. Was uh, grinding some film earlier today. I'll have the DFS fanball breakdown out probably sometime tomorrow. Ultimate AAF guide on Thursday as always. And yes, we will be having another pod with all your AAF info your heart could ever
0: desire. And I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, Johnny Manziel on that pod. That's a little, gotcha. bit of a little bit of a tease, a little bit of a cliffhanging tease there.
1: Brandon Silvers, if you're listening to this, man, what the hell? I've been waiting years to cheer for Johnny Manziel, and all of a sudden something named Brandon Silvers is keeping him on the bench. So <laughs> I'm tilted, man, but it's all right. Johnny football, talent's going to win out. Comeback season, let's go.
0: All right, we're going to talk about AAF on the future pod. For this episode, that is going to do it. For the Action Network NFL Podcast, please rate and review the show on iTunes. Subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe. For Ian, i Matthew Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. See you again next episode.